morning, North River. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Uh, when I was originally asked to do Sunday, Jeff said, can you talk on the Jewishness of Jesus? And I said, yeah, I would love to do that. And then a couple weeks later, I started to prepare and I went, oh, no. There are like a million ways to talk about that. Which one will I choose? And so I chose my favorite. Seemed like a good idea, right? I don't believe in sermon introductions. You guys ready to jump right in? Excellent. <laughs> so I hope I'm pressing the right buttons here. Let's find out. Uh, I want to talk to you about how did, uh, how did a Jewish rabbi teach? And how did Jewish hearers and learners learn? And how did they interact with the text? I want to talk about Jewish hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a big word that we use in the Western world to talk about how do you interpret the Bible. So I want to talk about Jewish hermeneutics and why does that make a difference, especially as followers of Jesus, because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi speaking to Jewish disciples and mainly Jewish audiences in a Jewish context. So to understand how Jesus is teaching is going to be very, very helpful if we really want to understand the teachings of the rabbi. Does that make sense? So I want to introduce you to something called pardes. Say pardes. Pardes. You usually see pardes. It'll be a capital P, a little a, a capital R, a capital D, a little e, and a capital S. It's kind of like an acronym of sorts. And it's a Hebrew word that they made up to talk about Jewish hermeneutics. Now, full disclosure and a slight disclaimer. Pardes did not formally get identified and used until about 1,000 A.D. So long, Jesus and his disciples would not, as far as we know, have used the term pardes. It's how Judaism came to talk about their hermeneutic much later, and in our world is an excellent way to kind of learn what that hermeneutic looks like. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? Smelling what I'm cooking? Does that work here in the South? Smelling what I'm cooking? All right, good. I'm, I'm, a, North, I'm a Northwestern kid, so bear with me. Um, so... So, so that's what this kind of Jewish hermeneutic, this pardes idea is. Oh, I never turned it on. You have to turn things on down here. I didn't know if you knew that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so pardes. So let's kind of go through this idea of pardes. Pardes starts with the P, and P stands for Peshat. Say Peshat. Now, Peshat is surface-level reading. Oh, I, I should finish my, my thought from pr prior. Pardes, even though it wasn't used until 1000 AD, the principles are all throughout ancient Judaism. Does that make sense? It's all throughout Talmud, and there's some debate about how far it goes back. But if you believe the Bible is the holy, inspired word of God, amen? Okay, good. Then, then I think you see it absolutely throughout the teachings of Jesus. And we'll see if you see it as well here today. But that's what we're going to be looking at. So Pardes, Peshat, say it again. Peshat is surface level reading. So Peshat is like when you just take the Bible and some of us call it the plain reading or just the, the exegesis we would call it in the, in the Western world. You look at the Bible, you exegete it, you're finding propositions, you're applying those propositions. It's all about what you're seeing on the surface. That is Peshat. It's excellent. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. There's other layers to pardes, but here's something that's very important for you to know. The deeper layers are not like more spiritual. Does that make sense? It's not like if I'm down at Drash, 
Well, I'm really tapped into the secret meanings of the scripture, and you silly Peshat people. <laughs> and this is good because for 1,800 years, Christianity has basically just done Peshat, and the Holy Spirit's done just fine with Peshat. Does that make sense? Okay. That, praise God that he works in spite of us. Jesus was doing something with his disciples that I think now that we know, it just brings the Bible, it opens it up, it, it brings all kinds of color and depth. But don't hear me say like, oh, Peshat, like forget that. No, 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 Peshat's just fine. God loves to work with Peshat. But the idea for a Jewish teacher and if, we, if, I can, if I can cruise through this fast enough, we'll spend some time in another parable, and I'll try to show you how Jesus is doing this. But for a Jewish teacher, they believe that you learn the most and you learn the best when you are most engaged, when you are doing the work, when you engage in the process of discovery, not just memorization. And so you can... A rabbi can teach something on Peshat level and say, I hope you learned that. Try to recite it on your way home and it will change your life. And it will. But the rabbi also know, for those who have ears to hear, uh, for those who have ears to hear, there's even more here. For those that have ears to hear, you may bump into stuff that will be even more. Ooh. It may change your heart, it may disturb you, it may provoke you, it may make you quite uncomfortable if you have ears to hear. And so, a rabbi will put what's called the remez. Say remez. remez. Now, remez is a Hebrew word that refers to hint, and the idea is that the rabbi is going to drop an Old Testament passage, some word or some phrase that they've lifted directly from an Old Testament passage and the rabbi is purposely putting it, hiding it, although usually not really hiding it. It's kind of in plain sight, but you still have to know your Bible. Remember, they didn't have Bible apps. Hmm. They didn't have BibleGateway.com, and they didn't even have printed Bibles. And your synagogue, by the way, didn't have a whole Bible. A whole Bible in their day cost the equivalent of three quarters of a million dollars to our equivalent today. Like, forget building church buildings, they would have spent all their money on buying a Bible. And your, your church had, you know, your church had, I don't know, Deuteronomy and Isaiah and maybe the scroll of Hosea, and they didn't have the New Testament, so you get the idea. But if you wanted to read Leviticus, well, you're going to have to go probably over to Northview or Athens to read Exodus, because that's who had, does that make sense? If you were going to know your Bible... They didn't have PowerPoint. You were going to have to know it. And you were going to have to memorize it. And they lived in that culture where most people did that work. And so if you had ears to hear, the rabbi would put a remez in his parable. You, you see this mostly in parables, although the principles work with almost all rabbinical teaching. But the rabbi is bearing a little hint. And if you catch the hint, you go, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The hint connects you to the drosh. Say drosh. Drosh is truth hidden in the story. It's the treasure. So the rabbi tells a lesson, 
which you can just exegete on the Peshat level and do just fine. But if you have ears to hear, there's a, there's a little hint. There's a, and this isn't Bible code. This is rabbinical hermeneutics. There's a difference, okay? And you catch the hint, and it unlocks the drosh. Now, this is another important point. The drosh is never going to work contrary to the Peshat. Does that make sense? You're never going to be learning something on the Peshat level, catch the remez, and have it jerk you 180 degrees in the other direction. You're always going to be going on the Peshat level. You're going to catch the remez, and it's going to open it up. And you're going to go, whoa, I got the idea, but wow. And that's what's going to stir the soul. Now, the last part's called sowed. Say sowed. Now, sowed is a mystery. You can't teach sowed. You, you can't, you, you, you could not spend enough time with a rabbi. A rabbi could not teach you sowed. Sowed is mystery and is revealed by God alone. We would say the Holy Spirit. Jews don't say that, but we would say the Holy Spirit. Okay? Yeah, you might remember Jesus being in Caesarea Philippi and he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist and some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and Peter says, you are Mashiach. Son of the living God, which my opinion is Peter's actually making a remez of his own, but that's another sermon. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for man has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Peter, you just got sowed. <laughs> Quite literally, you, you, you just got something from God. You didn't learn that around the campfire last night. Jesus is even saying, you haven't even learned that, that phrase. You didn't even get that from me. You got that from God, my Father in heaven. You just got sowed, Peter. And Peter was like, boom. <laughs> Followed up in the very next paragraph with this rabbi calling him Satan. <laughs> so Peter had like the best day and the worst day within like an hour or two's time. It's like the best rabbinical moment and the worst. So I want to like look at some parables. So we'll stay away from sowed because we can't control sowed. The Holy Spirit controls sowed. And, and what, I, I mean, I hope the Holy Spirit does something. That's cool. But what we're going to do up here this morning is try to experiment and look at Peshat, Ramez, and Drosh. I want to use two short parables to do it. And depending on how much kind of time we have left, we'll try to draw some conclusions and see where God wants to take us. You guys with me? Excellent. I like you guys here. Georgia. All right. Matthew 13, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So it was fulfilled, what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now I want to go back up to this, that first parable, and I just kind of want to walk through some of these levels here. Let's just think Peshat. Let's just think surface level reading, parable of the mustard seed, and see what comes out of this. Now, by the way, when you're on Peshat level, it doesn't mean easy. Because you still have to do a ton of contextual work. Because the Bible is like, this is like 2,000 years old. So there's still a lot of work to be done. You still have to have ears to hear even this. Does that make sense? 
You don't just come in and like, oh, give it to me easy. It doesn't work that way, right? The Bible, studying the Bible is intentional work. It's intentional. Uh, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Time out, Jesus. That's ridiculous. Mustard seed is a toxic weed in the Middle East. I have been over there. I found mustard seed in all kinds of places. Once mustard seed starts to grow, you cannot stop it. The plant has an underground root system that's so intense. Once it starts, you can't poison it. You can't cut it out. You can't dig it up. You, can't, you cannot get rid of it. You can't plow it out of the ground. It is, it, it's, it's crazy toxic weed. What's a good toxic weed here in Georgia? You guys got it. I don't even know what you said, but that's it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. And everybody's like, who would do that? So first Peshat principle is that the kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive. This is all Peshat. Kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive. It's backwards. It's not logical. It's not what you would look at and go, yeah, that makes sense. Okay? Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, okay, though it's the smallest of all seeds, the kingdom of heaven is small. It's not big. It's not huge and flashy. By the way, the kingdom of heaven is unstoppable. Once you, once you get it started, you can't stop it. It's just going to be little small things, but you can't. Stop it. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants and becomes a tree. No, Jesus, it doesn't. (laughs) There are two kinds of mustard seeds in the Middle East. One is a plant and one is a tree. And I'm no botanist, but the two do not become each other. The plant does not become the tree. Now, Jesus isn't an idiot. He's doing this on purpose because he's brilliant. He, he's letting the rat, he's winking as he says this. So there is, there is this uh, smallest of all, there's a plant, that toxic weed, and then there's a mustard tree, which really wouldn't look like a tree tree to us, but it's still a tree in the Hebrew mind. The two are not the same thing. And then Jesus says, so let the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. So maybe two other Peshat principles. Um, number one, it's counterintuitive. Number two, it is unstoppable. Number three, it's small. Number four, it has miraculous potential because the plant doesn't become the tree, but in the kingdom it does. Okay? So it has miraculous potential, and it apparently benefits the world around it. It's beneficial. The birds come and nest in its branches. All those things are just peshat, listen to the parable, in context, because context helped, didn't it? Like we're all, we've always taught, you know, parable of the mustard seed, and we get like an eighth of that. Historical context kind of pulls out like, wow, okay, there's a whole lot more. All those are just Peshat. Okay, what's the remez? Now, in order to speed this up, we're not going to sit here for the next 20 minutes and have everybody guess on what the remez is and pass a mic around. Well, the remez, the remez is often hiding in plain sight, and the rabbi teaches you the remez by It's either something that just makes no sense at all, it's totally ridiculous, which there's a few options here, or it's it's the one thing that doesn't need to be in the story. 
Like the whole parable would work, you didn't have to add that part. Okay, it's, it's that one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. That's usually where you find the remez, typically. Now here, there's this phrase that in my mind, the parable would work without it. And if you have your Bible memorized, it helps. <laughs> right? So the birds come and perch in its branches is a line lifted directly out of the prophet Ezekiel. And I know you all have Ezekiel memorized, so you were on that already, I know. <laughs> so this, this line comes directly out of the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 17, where God is saying, I'm gonna take my people out of exile in Babylon and I'm gonna bring them back home and I'm gonna plant them as a tree, not a mustard tree in Ezekiel, just a huge cedar. I'm gonna plant them as a massive cedar in my, in my, back in Israel and they're gonna grow up and, and this tree is going to provide shade so that all the birds of the air come and nest in its branches, Ezekiel said. Now in Ezekiel, all rabbis were in agreement that animals in Ezekiel represent Gentiles. It's most of you. Birds, fish, animals, not rocket science. So the birds are Gentiles in Ezekiel. So Jesus just dropped the remez. Now watch. What is Jesus' drosh? His drosh is that the kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive. The, the kingdom of heaven is small, but unstoppable and has miraculous potential. And what I'm talking about, Jesus says, is blessing the outsiders, namely the Gentiles. That's most of you. It's counterintuitive because most of your Jewish pals aren't gonna think this is a great, great program. It's small because you're not gonna start a big program. You're just gonna do small little mustard seed acts of kindness and generosity and hospitality. But if you start it, it will be unstoppable and has miraculous potential. Right? Woo! Okay, cool. Do you see how you were like, okay, Jesus, I get the teaching about the kingdom. Whoa, whoa. And do you see how most people are walking along going, okay, Jesus, I get the teaching on the kingdom and they just keep going. But for those that have ears to hear, they're like, they kind of like stumble out of that teaching. Like, oh, oh, I have work to do. Of course, none of us do that in the church. That's totally cool. <laughs> none of us walk out of church every Sunday going, well, that sermon was okay, I guess. You did good there. I like that point. I didn't like that part. And yet some of us have prepared our soil and the Holy Spirit's working and some of us leave the building going, does that make sense? Anybody smelling what I'm cooking? Okay. <laughs> Let's go to the second parable. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough. Okay, let's go back through that and just do Peshat. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Okay, stop. Context. Yeast in the Jewish mind always symbolizes sin. That's why your sacrifices cannot have yeast in them, grain offerings in Leviticus. No yeast. Yeast always sacrifices leaven, always symbolizes badness. 
It's why your bread is unleavened during Passover. It's why you work right before Bedekat Hametz, the night before Passover, to remove all leaven from your house. Because the symbolism is that you're going to work hard to purge your life of all that you need to get rid of. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So the kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive. Wait a minute. You don't think Jesus is going to tell another parable with the same exact points, do you? I don't know. Let's find out. Kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. By the way, how much yeast do you think she used? I've made some bread in my life in this last year. We started making bread at my house. You don't use much yeast. That stuff's pretty powerful. By the way, that yeast, I try to keep it in just one part of the dough. No, I don't. Because the yeast, the yeast what? It spreads. The yeast is unstoppable. So the yeast is counterintuitive. The yeast is small. The yeast is unstoppable. And she mixes it into 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough. Now, somebody who makes bread, tell me what's wrong with that. 60 pounds of flour is a lot of flour. (laughs) And I I hate that the NIV went and untranslated it because it makes it harder to find the remez. Because what the original Greek says, and it will say it in your footnotes, the original Greek says, Three measures. Well, three measures is about 60 pounds. That's correct. But if they would have kept it three measures, we would have remembered the remez, maybe, if we knew our Bible really well. Because we've already seen a woman make bread out of three measures, 60 pounds of flour. Her name was Sarah. She was the wife of Abraham. Abraham, who met visitors... Visitors, outsiders, and right after a little surgery he had just performed, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Circumcision for anybody that's not following. (laughs) He's just gotten done with circumcision in the chapter prior, and we look at it and we're like, chapter 18, okay, totally different story. Chapter 18 starts, as Abraham was sitting in the shade of a tree. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He was taking the next few days off. (laughs) He sees visitors. And the Jews are totally sold on this. This isn't like a funny joke. Like the Jews are totally sold on this. Abraham sees visitors. He just had that surgery. And he sees outsiders and he gets up and he runs. Something you don't do in their culture, period. But he runs to greet. Listen, if there's one day where you're like, I'm going to stay here And I'll say hi when they get here. Thank you very much. But this is the kind of guy that has the character that he's going to go run to greet outsiders so that he can show them hospitality. The Jews actually teach that this was a miracle. 60 pounds of flour. He tells Sarah, grab 60 pounds of flour and make bread. And I'm sure she looked at the tent like, how many people are coming? I see three. That's enough bread to feed them for the next three months. It's going to go bad. But that's, that's not what she says. Okay. And she gets the 60 pounds of flour. And the Jews say, no, no person could make 60 pounds of flour into bread for dinner. It was a miracle. Because if you're willing, and I know that our Western minds go, well, she had servants. And the Jews say, that's not in the text. 
If you're willing to show hospitality to outsiders, radical hospitality, God will use it miraculously, the Jews say. So wait a minute. That parable is the exact same lesson plan as the one prior. The kingdom of heaven is small. It's counterintuitive. It's unstoppable. It has miraculous potential. And it blesses all those people around it. Now, I'm sure a lot of people got the Peshat reading, and some people, some people left that morning. I don't know if it's morning. Hmm. Some people left that day, uh, walked off that hillside, walked away from that teaching, and they had ears to hear. And they had problems sleeping that night. Because they had to figure out what they were going to do with that rabbi's teaching. Is that really what the kingdom of heaven is like? Is the kingdom of heaven really about showing radical hospitality to people who aren't like us? Is the kingdom of heaven really about doing small things? I wanted the kingdom of heaven to be big. I wanted the kingdom of heaven to show up with trumpets and a big, huge army and all this kind of stuff. I wanted the kingdom of heaven to just show up and God to win. Is the kingdom of heaven like yeast? And is, that, is the kingdom of heaven something that I have to participate in? Is the kingdom of heaven something that I have to... You see, this is how Jewish hermeneutics work and why the Jewishness of Jesus can make a difference, yes? Okay, so let's try to apply this real quick, like, see if I can do this in you know, 12 minutes. Oh, yeah, there was that. Sorry, forgot to click it. Pardes. All right, we can review that. What's the first level? Second level? Third level? Fourth level? Very good, it's on the screen. Good work. Let's go, to, let's go to where that chapter began in Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear, which is Jesus going, I buried a treasure, I buried a treasure. Who's interested in finding it? Like that's him saying, hey, pay attention. Okay? So he teaches this parable. Now what, again, historical context, we have found multiple parables throughout rabbinic history. Rabbis love to talk about the four learners. The four learners. Uh, my favorite example is the sponge. All right, let me give you my least favorite first. The quick learner, quick doer. The quick learner, slow doer. The slow learner, quick doer, and the slow learner, slow doer. And the rabbinical unstated question that everybody picks up is, what kind of a learner are you? You could even sit there for like just 10 seconds right now and go, okay, what one am I? Am I a quick learner or a slow learner? Uh, I'm a slow learner. Am I a quick doer or a slow doer? Okay. Anyway, you get the idea. Four learners. Now, another favorite one that the, that's in Jewish history, um, there's the sponge, the funnel, the sieve and the sifter, or the strainer, excuse me, okay? Uh, there's, there's learners that take in everything and keep everything, the sponge. There's the, 
the, the, the learners that take in everything and lose everything, the funnel. There's the, the, the learners that take in everything and keep only the bad stuff, the strainer. And then there are people that take in everything and keep only the good stuff, the sieve. Which learner are you? Now here's why that matters. Because I have heard numerous teachings on this parable in Christian circles. And you know what we do. Well, you just go out and sow your seed and some people are going to listen to you and some people aren't. And some people are going to receive it and some people aren't. And you do, your job is just to go sow the seed. If you look at Jesus' explanation of this parable, you are not the sower. Uh-oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> he says God is the sower. And I get that we're like, okay, so God sows the seed, but we still project it on everybody else. That is not the meaning of the parable. Jesus does not tell a parable so that you can think about other people. Jesus tells a parable so that you can examine yourself. The question is what kind of soil are you? Are you the soil that's the, the, the path where you don't even get time? Like for whatever reason, it's not even your fault. The enemy comes along and swoops down and whether it's because of the hand you were dealt or the whatever, you can't even hear the message. Or are you the soil that's rocky? Your rocky soil, like the seed comes and you hear it and you love it and it springs up quickly, but you're never willing to actually do the work to actually build some depth and grow some roots. You just come and like, nom, 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 and you just take it in and that's fine. But the moment that suffering comes, you have no root. And so it just withers and dies. Or are you the thorns? And you like really want to follow God and you hear the message. The problem is, is the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out and make it unfruitful. Thank goodness that's not a problem in our world. We have a lot of thorny soil. Or are you the person that prepares your soil? Good cultivated soil. And it it takes the seed and produces a crop. 160, 30 times what was sown. But you realize the reason the soil is good soil, right? It's because you have ears to hear. It's because you've done the work. Because you have to pick the rock. I, I learned this lesson for the first time in Israel and my rabbi had, we were in a field and we picked rock as we learned the parable. Actually, in another story, in another time that I was there, the farmer actually came out trying to figure out why 54 Americans were picking rock in his field. And he was just like, yeah. He's grabbing rocks and he's joining in and he's just like, wow. I don't know why you're here, but yeah. It takes work to prepare your soil. You wanna, you wanna grow roots, it's not gonna happen like by happenstance because I show up on Sunday mornings. And, uh, you're gonna have to do the work on some level somewhere. You're gonna have to pick the rock. You're gonna have to burn away the thorns. You're going to have to get rid of the weeds so that your soil is good. You know the Old Testament talked about that. I wonder if that was the remez. Break up your unplowed ground, Jeremiah said, and do not sow among thorns. Do not sow among thorns, Hosea said, but instead sow seeds of righteousness and take care of the outsiders. Well, that sounds like what he talks about a few paragraphs later. I wonder if this whole chapter is Jesus making the same point over and over and over again. That'd be weird. 
I love this next part, though. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? By the way, by the way, I'm not going to do this work for you because I need to leave some work for those of you that have ears to hear. What's the remez other than the ones that I kind of like threw at you? And there, there are multiple remezes sometimes in a remezim. Uh, what, what is, what do you say, what's the one part of that that doesn't make, what's the one thing that you were like, wait, what, why? What's that? Throwing seed on the path. That, that kind of seems weird, but in context, the sower walks along the path and he has this bag and he does this motion and naturally seed just kind of falls on the path and the rocks that line the edge of the field and then the weeds that are kind of, and the good soil is all out there. Now, most of the seed seems to fall on good soil, but there's always some that falls there. What, the very last line, what's wrong with that? Not the last whoever has ears. What's wrong with the last line on that slide? It goes backwards. Probably a remez there, just telling you. Now you get it, it's only, that one of those words is only used once in the entire Bible. Now you gotta go figure out which one it is. Other than here, only used once in the Old Testament. Isaac. Um, <laughs> the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge, listen, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. What did he just talk about? Sowed. You've been given sowed, but they haven't. So I speak to them in parables. Why though, Jesus? Why do I speak to them in parables? Because I only want those that want to find it to find it. Don't believe me, watch this. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. You wanna do the work? Oh, you're gonna find treasure. You ever read that verse and been like, well, what does that mean? That doesn't seem very nice. God's gonna take away from those that don't have. But when you understand the context of parable, See, whoever has will be given more, and you will have it in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away, like the seed that fell among the path. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not hear and understand. So Jesus essentially says, I speak to them in parables so that they won't understand. And you're like, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> I remember learning that in Bible college from my Christian education professor. He, he, he spent like the first three weeks of class just talking about, we're going to teach like Jesus. We're going to teach like Jesus. And the fourth week, he was like, psych. Because Jesus taught so that people wouldn't understand. It was like so cool. It was a wonderful lesson. But it, Jesus says, I teach so that people won't under. You have to have ears to hear to smell what Jesus is cooking. And so Jesus goes on. He says this. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear. And quit making, don't make this about Jews. Make this about all God's people, yourselves included. Right? Jews were the option in Jesus' day. Okay. They were the church people. Nobody laughed at that, but that's funny. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and their eyes they have closed. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus says, if they understood, they would have to repent. And I would love, I would love to, to heal them. I would love it if they repented. But they don't want to repent. So they've shut their eyes, and they've shut their spiritual ears, because they don't want to understand. That's why I speak to them in parables. Because if they don't want to understand, I'm not going to spoon feed them. 
Well, that's not what I learned in Bible college. <laughs> I was told to make these sermons as easy as possible so that everybody could understand them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it. And they long to hear what you hear but did not hear it. I suppose my closing reflection for this morning for us would be maybe what, as you learn the Jewish hermeneutics of Jesus, what kind of soil are you? Are you rocky soil or thorny soil or past soil? Or are, are, are we believers that want to have ears to hear? Or do we know, do we know that if we heard, it would cost us, some of us it would cost us everything. And so I'd rather not hear. I'd rather wear the t-shirt. I'd rather show up. I'd rather check the box. Or does being a follower of a Jewish rabbi, is it actually an invitation to let the teaching of the kingdom open up and change our hearts and to stir our souls that we would be changed? Let me pray. Father God, I, uh, I don't want to be changed, let's be honest. I, I love comfort as much as any other human being in this room. I, I gravitate towards comfort. I resist discomfort. I resist uh, provocation. I resist all the things that you probably long to do in my life. I just, it just feels so backwards. But yet it's the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom. God, I, I pray that you would, I, I've heard the phrase this morning uh, more than once that you would draw us to yourself. Would you, would you do that? Because you don't just scold us about whether or not we're bad soil, you invite us. You keep inviting us. Like a, like a loving father with a million pounds of forgiveness, you just invite us back and say, would you like to do it right this time? Would you like it now? What about now? What about now? And uh, God, we, I know I, just appreciate your faithfulness, your steadfast love and forgiveness, your constant, your, your, your relentless, bottomless pursuit of all people. Thank you for that. And, and, and we know that you're looking for partners. We know that you're looking for for women who will bake 60 pounds of flour. We know you're looking for crazy farmers willing to plant mustard seed in their fields. We know that you're looking for partners. We know you don't need partners, but we know that you joyfully look for them. And um, we're privileged to be on that list. May we, may we honor, may we f revere the, the call the invitation to be a part of the thing that you're doing in this world. And may, may we be amazed 160, 30 times what we ever expected. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.